BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his views in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's fast car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. The battle's for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world, hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way. Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart? I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to survive. From the Speed Sport Podcast Studios, powered by My Race Pass, here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in, pull those belts tight. We'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. Today's guest, Mike, born into a racing family, began his motorsports career in 1981. Working with the Universal Racing Network and the North Wilkesboro Speedway, as well as several other NASCAR tracks in the years ahead. He joined the Motor Racing Network radio broadcasting team in 1987 and served as lead pit reporter for 18 years before stepping away full time at the end of the 2020 season. Through his 43-year career, he has served the Charlotte region and motorsports communities through a number of civic and industry organizations, the North Carolina Motorsports Association and North Carolina Motorsports Foundation, Executive Committee and Board of Directors, Vice Chairman 600 Festival, Charlotte Center City Partners, Executive Committee and Board of Directors, and many, many more. It's kind of a big deal. Yeah, it's VP of the Charlotte Regional Visitors Authority and Executive Director of the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Winston Kelly, say hi to Mike Wallace. Hello, guys. Uh, that's exactly like my mom wrote it up. So <laughs> y'all read it just like mom wrote it up. 
Most of it's true. Most of well, it's she, true? She must have written your bio because that's where I got it all. Yeah. <laughs> she did. <laughs> well, I have to say, Winston, that it's very impressive. You know, I, I mean, I'm... Uh, that's what I'm saying. Know. It's kind of a big deal. We're looking town, at each other know. like, wow, that's a big deal. Yeah. So I guess you'd say you're a big deal. No, nah, I've been lucky to uh, be in a lot of good places through my career at Duke Power and uh, also within NASCAR. So very fortunate uh, just to be around a lot of good people. Well, that sounds great. So help us uh, back us up in time. And I, I learned that by just listening to Jeff. says you were born into a racing family. I wasn't aware of that. Tell me about where you were born into. <laughs> well, m- my father did some promoting. Uh, he was a sports reporter, sports editor for the Concord Tribune. But where he really got involved is he was the first public relations director at the Charlotte Motor Speedway from 1959 until 64. He left there, uh, and then he and Mom bought an auto parts store in Concord, and he went to work for the Universal Racing Network because he had done a lot of public address announcing when he was involved at Charlotte and when he was involved doing some sideline promoting of racing. So... You know, if your dad hunts and fishes, and you know this, Mike, you tend to hunt and fish. Your dad goes to the racetrack just like you did, then you go with him. And that's what I did, tagged along with dad and just always enjoyed it and wanted to get involved with it. And I read that he was actually the PA announcer at the Daytona International Speedway. Is that correct? He was. The very first race that I went to was 1964, Daytona 500. Mom and dad took us out of school for a week, my older brother and I. So we did our schoolwork at the hotel during the day, and then we got to go to the racetrack when they had the qualifying races, the Saturday race and the Sunday race. So he did PA at a lot of tracks when he was going there to promote the Charlotte race. Because back then, the one of the ways you promoted it is you tacked promotional posters to telephone poles. And he'd stop about every 25 miles and tack up some posters uh, same thing coming back up the road. So he was doing PA at Daytona the year that uh, I first went to a race in 1964. See, that's before social media. That's working hard. That's what that <laughs> Just is. a little bit. <laughs> so, Just a little bit. We were beyond horse and buggies, but not far. <laughs> so I was thinking about that, and that's why I was looking at you, Jeff, is that I remember. I mean, it's doesn't seem like it's a long ago, but I guess it's been a long time ago where I used to see people stopping at street corners and stapling or nailing up. Absolutely. You How know, do you get the word out? The, the fair right? was coming to town. The Take an ad out in the newspaper. Yeah. Or you tack something up on a telephone pole. Yes. So <laughs> I guess because you mentioned, I'm going to ask, who was or what was the Universal Racing Network at that time? I never heard of it before. They were a radio network, the primary radio network for NASCAR. And they probably did about 18 or 20 races a year. Did not do the entire schedule. Uh, Dad started working with them, I believe, in 1965. Uh, Ned Jarrett got his start with URN before he went over to Motor Racing Network. Bobby Johns was one of the pit reporters, a former driver. A guy by the name of Dick Jones, Hal Hamrick, were among the guys who were in the booth. And they did... A lot of the southeastern races, they went up to Trenton, New Jersey, and places like that. Did the uh, first Talladega race in 1969. Uh, But what Bill France Sr. was looking for when he formed the Motor Racing Network is somebody that would do all the races over time. And a gentleman by the name of Hank Schoolfield, who had a printing business, he also worked at the Bowman Gray Stadium and was general manager at North Wilkesboro, 
had Universal Racing Network, and they did about 16, 18 races a year uh, back in the 60s, 70s. Uh, and then they kind of waned uh, in the late 70s and early 80s. And then that's when MRN uh, and later PRN took over all the races. Did the Universal Racing Network have a, a good following back in that day of NASCAR racing? Did they have a good audience? They did. And, you know, if you listen to folks who are, are kind of my generation uh, and our generation, like when they say, you know, they used to listen to it on a transistor radio, you know, they drive to where they could pick up the radio back in the 60s and through the early 70s. It was URN who they were listening to. Wow. So how... Other than your father growing, you know, you following your father, your family to the racetrack and ending up at Daytona, where and how did your interest, and as you mentioned early, that, you know, you kind of follow what your family does, your dad does, whatever, as we did, you know, dad raced, we raced. Uh, when's the first time you remember picking up a Mr. Microphone maybe in the house <laughs> uh, that was probably a popsicle stick or something? At hey, that good time? looking. We'll be back to pick you up later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, I guess you got to do that, right? Sometime to be to realize if you're going to do it or not. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Talking into I a box. I, I think I predate Mr. Microphone, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> but you know, I, I would tag along when Dad would go to Rockingham. They had this little booth outside of Turn Two that he broadcast from, and I would go. Sometimes my brother would go there. Barely enough room for two people in there, but he'd let us squeeze a third in there. May take a friend with me. There are times we went to Bristol and he'd be doing uh, the pit road coverage and it wasn't remote then. So I'd be the one that would go get a driver and ask them if they'd come talk to dad, if they fell out of the race. So I just always loved it. You know, you got to be around the people and, you know, I think about people like Richard Petty who doesn't treat me any different today in the job I'm in than when I was tagging along with dad and just got to meet so many of the folks, I just became interested in it. And I knew I wanted to be involved in it, but you couldn't make a living broadcasting back then. So, you know, dad said, you got to go to college. You got to get an education, got a full-time job. But I started doing high school football was the first things that I started announcing. One of dad's community service things that he did in Concord was he announced the Concord High School football games for as long as I could remember. So I got to announce alongside him to get some announcing experience. Then I took some classes at the Carolina School of Broadcasting to help there. Uh, and then uh, that's I called the Universal Racing Network, Hank Schoolfield, who Dad had worked for. And he hired me in 1981 as a statistician. And he said it pays $50 a race. No travel expenses. You got a hotel if it was somewhere like Richmond or Atlanta. But I'd drive to the race. I'd be a statistician, keep up. I'd talk to somebody that was on the other end in the scoring stand, take down the, the rundown because it wasn't electronic then, and I'd write that down and pass it along to the announcers. And that's how I got my foot in the door. Wow. That's kind of, kind of like an assistant producer, but that's great because at the end of the day, it's show business, isn't it? And once you're in the booth... You know, and you're a kid with your with your dad running the show, but once you're in the booth, you know, you kind of get bit by that bug, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that that's exactly how it was. And I just wanted to be around racing. Uh, I, you know, I wasn't all that mechanically inclined. You know, I didn't work on race cars or anything like that. Uh, so I thought, well, I'd try my hand at announcing if I could get my foot in the door. 
And as things progressed uh, after the first couple of years with URN, they shut down, and Barney Hall was the primary uh, voice of the North Wilkesboro Speedway. And there was another local radio guy who helped him. So when Barney had to quit doing that PA work there, I talked Hank Schofield and let me be the assistant PA guy. And then that progressed to doing the PA at North Wilkesboro until they closed in 1996. But it was all about just trying to get your foot in the door, being willing to take a weekend and make $50 for a full weekend of going to Richmond or Atlanta or Rockingham or Darlington and just be around and start meeting people. Well, that's what you would call the love of the sport or the love of the business, right? Absolutely. It certainly wasn't about the money at that time. Right. Yeah. So tell- I, yeah, I never got into it thinking I'd make any money, and it became my golf gear. Gotcha. You know, I, I would have done it for free. I wouldn't have told MRN that after <laughs> all those years. But I just wanted to be involved with it. I just liked the sport. I liked the people. Uh, I grew up around it, just following it, going to it, listening to it on the radio, watching it on TV whenever I could. And, uh, you know, some people like sticking ball sports, and NASCAR was always my favorite sport. So, if you don't mind me asking, in 19, you said 1994 or 96 was the last time you worked at Wilkesboro? Something yes, else. yeah. So, tell me your thoughts on Wilkesboro, if you don't mind, with the announcement that the All-Star Race is coming back. I, I went to the late model race up there, I'll call it a couple months ago. Man, it just looks like North Wilkesboro 1994 vintage, except they had some... You know, portable lights and the place was packed. It was it was quite awing because it just man, it was old school. And uh, what what do you what do you think you take from uh, back in 1996 to now? Is it going to be the same? Going to be different? Uh, I, I think it'll. I think a lot will be the same, and I think some will be different. The things that will be the same, you know, you went, I went to the first late model race in uh, early August of this year. The track is exactly the same as when you guys raced on it. Exactly the same. The infrastructure is what needs work. And if anybody can do infrastructure in a short amount of time, it's Speedway Motorsports. They've done it with repays, with reconfigurations of track. Uh, So I'm confident that they can get it done. I'm excited that we're going back. I don't know that I look for it to be a points-paying race. I don't know if it'll be the all-star race every week, every year, but I think once they get it reopened, there will be things like late model races, maybe even a truck race or something like that there. So I'm excited that we're going to go back to the, to North Wilkesboro. And I remember when we left North Wilkesboro and, you know, everybody was bemoaning, I say everybody, the locals were bemoaning it and saying how awful it was. Well, I had heard from drivers who had trouble, and Mike, you may have been in this this boat. It was hard to sell national sponsors when you had 14 races within a four-and-a-half, five-hour period. You had Richmond, Atlanta, Charlotte, Martinsville, Bristol, Bristol, North Wilkesboro, and Darlington times two. And I had drivers tell me it's hard to sell sponsors with so many of your races in one area. So as much as I hated to see Wilkesboro leave, I understood the business aspect and I think how it's coming full circle and with Marcus bringing it back uh, after, you know, how it split up between Bruton and Bob Bayer. I think it's exciting this coming back 
They definitely have a lot of work to do, but if anybody can do it, Speedway Motorsports can. Well, I'm excited about your career, Winston. By any chance, and we'll, in the last minute of this segment, have uh, have they approached you, or if they approached you to say, hey, we want to go to back to 1996, Winston, we want you to do the racetrack play-by-play. Would you consider that? I would. Nobody has approached me, but I would certainly consider helping up there in any way, whether it's tying in NASCAR 75th celebration or coming back to North Wilkesboro. You know, there's a there's a lot of places that I would change my schedule to be there, and that's one of them. Hmm. Well, as Jeff and I always say, there's... the whole world is listening, including Marcus Smith. Yeah, so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Marcus, we have just primed primed the wheel for you. It's not going to take a whole lot of effort. Just a simple phone call will do well. Winston Kelly is available yes. to sit in the PA booth. Yeah. I'm excited about it. So, uh, let's take a break and catch back up on the rest of your. This career. is fun. We're talking to the executive director of the NASCAR Hall of Fame, among other things. Winston Kelly is with us. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the. Speedsport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Speedsport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. He's the executive director of the NASCAR Hall of Fame, also VP of the Charlotte Regional Visitors Authority. I got to do this at least once, Mike. Let's toss it down to the pits with Winston Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> Take it away, Mike. Yeah, no, Winston didn't take the throw, did he? <laughs> he must not have had his headphones I, I, I can't on. call a pit stop unless I'm seeing cars come down pit road and okay. guys putting a jack up underneath. I got you. Well, I didn't mean cool. to put you on the spot. I had to go there. I love that. That worked out well. <laughs> We know he can freeze under pressure. <laughs> Never thought he could. <laughs> uh, Winston, so we were, as we left uh, right before break, we were talking about North Wilkesboro and the, uh, you know, the befores and afters, and we'll get off of that. So as your career progressed with the Universal Racing Network, when was your first MRN race? And you, you made a note that it was hard to make a living. You wouldn't make a living being a broadcaster. So first MRN race, and what did you do to make a living while you were a uh, in the early days of uh, calling races? Well, my full-time job from when I got out of college was with Duke Power Company, which became Duke Energy. And it stayed my full-time job until I left in 2006 to come to the NASCAR Hall of Fame. So having worked at North Wilkesboro, and then that led to being able to do some PA at Bristol uh, and some other tracks. In 1987, I think it was, I reached out to John McMullen, who was the president of MRN at the time, and asked him if he'd give me a chance to go to work with them. Uh, and he asked me if I could send him a tape of me broadcasting the races. Well, I'd not done anything but PA. I'd not done any radio work. So he said that I could come and be a production assistant. And basically what that is is a gopher. I helped set up equipment. I helped pull Hard everything was hardwired then. Nothing was uh, done uh, remotely or anything like that. So I, I went to Rockingham in 1987, and for the next little over a year and a half, that's what I did. I would go to any race that I could. I'd find a place that I could stay. Every now and then he'd get me a hotel room, but basically I was a gopher, uh, and he knew what I wanted to do was broadcast. And probably the best thing he did 
is not put me on the air before I was ready. Uh, I tagged along with the pit reporters, ran information. Every now and then I would spot the turn for a turn reporter and just learned how MRN did things and how each role had its place. And the first race that I actually got to broadcast was uh, Martinsville in September of 1988. Actually was not supposed to do a broadcast until the end of October of that year for the doubleheader they had with the Modifieds and the Bush cars. And on the cup weekend, Mike Joy, who was one of the pit reporters then, got fogged in on his flight to come into Martinsville. So about two hours before the race, John said, do you think you're ready to do this? And I said, I'm as ready as I'll ever be. So I didn't have time to get nervous. Oh, outstanding. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Jim Phillips was doing the front side of the pits and I did the back straight away. And I guess I didn't totally follow my face because they invited me back and stuck with it until 2020. So in the early years there, you mentioned that you were, uh, you ran information, uh, an assistant or what? Just for the world listening, what is what does that mean? Running the information, what the, what would that have meant back then? Right, if you think about the scanners that we have now to listen <clears throat> into crew chiefs and listen into drivers and that communication, all that didn't exist back in the eighties. So it was going up and down pit road, running information, finding out what's if a car was falling back, what was the driver saying. Uh, when they were going to pit and that type of thing. So just finding out what was going on, helping the pit reporters keep up with who had pitted when, when they might pit again. So all that information. That that type of information back then, was that being, did you go to like the crew chief at that time or a crew member? Because I don't know, Jeff, do you, was there pit, PR people back in that? Or when I'm someone sure was there no, PR people? Have, no, there were not PR people. So you were either going to the crew chief or you got to know the crew members. You know, there may be a, you know, a tire changer, gas man, tire specialist, you know, whatever. And they would tell you what they were thinking about doing. I got you. So so when you got thrown into the fire there at Martinsville, you didn't have time to get nervous. <coughs> tell us about the, the, the come to green at that moment. You know, just well, that, wh- it, what was it like? Well, it probably started the day before, and, and that's one of the things that helped me. The day before was a Bush Series race, and MRN was doing auditions for a couple of guys who wanted to be turn announcers. And John said, Winston, why don't you put on the pit equipment? You go down there, do a couple of mock pre-race interviews, and if somebody falls out of the race, we'll do a, a mock interview with them, and you can call a couple of pit stops. So getting to do that and when I would do a report since it was not on the air live and the same thing with the, the guys that were trying to audition for the turns, they would stop and Joe Moore and Eli Gold were the two in the booth. They'd say that was good, but here's what you could have done different or better. So it's almost like I had a warm up the day before. Okay. So then when you fast forward to Sunday, you know, I remember in the production meeting, they were going through who we were going to talk to. And one of the things that uh, they said is, well, Brett Bodine always runs good here. He was in Bud Moore's car and Brett's nice to everybody. So we know, even if he doesn't know who Winston is, he'll give him a good answer. And Brett and I laugh about this to this day. So that's one of the things that I remember about the pre-race. 
And I also remember that Ricky Rudd ran particularly good that day. He was on the back straightaway pits, and I must have worn Larry McReynolds out trying to talk to him and interviewed him two or three times. And I think Mike Alexander was on the other end of pit road in Bobby Allison's car uh, and was in that pit a lot. So those are the, the three things that I remember most about that. And, uh, and Barney Hall telling me after the race, you did okay, son. That's all I needed to hear. <laughs> and that's quite the compliment from Barney. And, you know, if, if you weren't up to par, Barney would tell you in a polite way. He said, you did okay, son. So I, well, I, felt, I felt good about it. Well, that was a big compliment. Barney was, uh, you know, Jeff, as you know, and Winston, I mean, Barney Hall was the man. You know, he, It's not easy to do, man. I mean, there's yeah. an art to all that. Oh, I, Winston, I tell Jeff all the time, you know, on the show that his background is in radio. He was with Fox and John Boy and Billy for forever 30 and, years anyway. and he sits here and he, he just rattles things off and reads you know his script and doesn't mess up and i read like three lines and i've done screwed up four <laughs> words and <laughs> he goes that's what i get paid to do it's, it's what i'm here for mike <laughs> yeah i'm here to assist you i'm your ed mcmahon yeah so so <laughs> after after that race at martinsville uh winston on your ride home I'm sure you drove home from there what, what did did you just have a like a at any time a look in the mirror and go I made it, or I got the opportunity, or it's just some like what do they call that? An aha moment? Yeah, right. Yeah, they did. Or did, were you just like, oh, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do? Which way did you feel there? I, I think it was as much relief that after seven and a half, almost eight years, I'd finally gotten the chance that I wanted, which was to be on a NASCAR radio broadcast. Yeah. And you know, go back to. Had John put me on before I was ready, I would have probably totally screwed it up. Uh, and you know, when I knew how MRN did things and why they did them a certain way, and that as a pit reporter you have a certain role, it's not your job to describe the wreck that happens right in front of you, even if you saw it. It's your job to keep up with the strategy, what's happening on pit road, you know, why somebody might be falling back or making good progress adjustments they're making to the car and learning that and that's why mrn is so seamless everybody does their job and sticks to their job uh to complement each other so i get riding home was a relief that i had was able to do it and also that you know the man as you say barney hall was the man and always was until he stepped away in 2014 to get that you know you done okay son thought well maybe there'll be a second chance yeah so when did that second chance come and how did it come was it a uh i did a couple of more races uh i think the end of that year maybe uh just covering the garage at rockingham i believe and then uh covering the garage at atlanta uh in in the 1988 uh, i think those are the next two uh, and i also did get to work that uh doubleheader race the end of october that was the bush and the modified race i think i did three more races two in the garage and uh, one on pit road uh, and then it was about you know maybe two weeks before the daytona 500 in 1989 uh, and john called and said do you think you might be able to come down and uh, work the daytona 500 for us and cover the garage area for that it's like 
I think I can make that happen. You make that happen. <laughs> so uh, it's fifty bucks know. in it for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's funny. It's, it's easy to take vacation in February. No, nobody else asks for vacation in February. So, so, so at that uh, time, you were working for Duke Energy or Duke Power, then, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, so that I was. was uh, yeah, I was at the, I was at the McGuire Nuclear Plant at that time, and uh, just took off that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I think I took off Wednesday and drove down, and then worked the qualifying races uh, on Thursday. And then uh, I don't think we had a truck race at Daytona by then and then worked the bush race and the cup race uh, in 89 in Daytona. Yeah, I know the trucks didn't show up there till 2000. And guess who won the first race? I'm not sure I think who I was may have, I think I may know. <laughs> yeah, it's so shocking I may that have you even brought that up. Victory lane by then. I, I think there's some video out there of that. I love it. I rewatch it every now and then. So another fun story that I need to know, what's a guy do – that wants to be a race car announcer, but he's working at a nuclear plant. What was your job at McGuire Nuclear? That's he was the PA announcer. At the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Evacuation, please. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, seriously, I had I had several different jobs there. I I was with Duke for 27 years, and I had 13 different jobs. Uh, my mom said, "Can't you keep a job?" But what? What Duke was so good about is if you wanted to grow your career and you were willing to do things out of your own job description, you got a lot of opportunities. So for the 10 years I was at McGuire, I was re responsible for all the budget and accounting for about four years. Then I was over administrative management uh, for three years, and then I was over human resources for three years and then transferred to another location. See, so all uh, that experience as an executive. You don't become executive director of the NASCAR Hall of Fame just because. Well, you know, I'll be honest <laughs> with you. I've only, I, I mean, I knew Winston worked at Duke, but I'd never ask him what he ever did. Man, he's got a, that's that's a who-who'd list a right there. I mean, you can I know. run a big company. So uh, I guess that's why he is at Hellum <laughs> Titles. So uh, VP stripes. What was that? He's got the VP stripes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. without a doubt. So... Well, the, the people, because your name, when I, I moved down here in 1990, 91 started racing, and your name was just part of NASCAR, Winston Kelly. And my little brother can do an exact Winston Kelly impersonation, <laughs> which I can't do quite so well. But uh, well, did your did your buddies at Duke Power know or listen to you on the radio and they come in and talk to you on Monday morning and make a compliment or condemn you or talk <laughs> racing or you know they call it water cooler talk i think back in the day yeah actually they did and and one of the side benefits uh of doing the mrn stuff especially when you're responsible for human resources and you're in a nuclear power plant which is largely blue collar there's a bit of a gap sometime or can be between hr people and the people in the field I'd gotten to know a lot of them playing softball in, in a couple of leagues around the plant, but there were a ton of race fans there. Uh, and yeah, they would want to talk about racing. We had a little lunchroom up in the plant and I'd go up there at least two or three times a week. And that's generally what people would want to talk about once I got involved in broadcasting races and same when I went to other plants, I worked at two of the other nuclear plants. Uh, also worked in the power operations area uh, linemen, a lot of race fans there, and it opened a lot of doors, uh, and and not just inside the company, uh, 
but when when I went into uh, a job in Lancaster, South Carolina, uh, that the title then was district manager of that area, and I was being introduced to a lot of the folks, you know, the city manager, the fire chief, the police chief, and and folks that worked at Lancaster, and uh, the guy that I was replacing who was retiring, you know, he made a uh, one. Of, the fire chief actually made the comment when when Jack said, you know, this is Winston Kelly. Uh, and, and the fire chief said, well, I'll be able to remember that name because there's a guy on the radio <laughs> that does racing by that name. Well, Jack being the, the guy he was, he says, well, he says, that's interesting. I, maybe we'll talk about that later. <laughs> so, so then when everybody got there and he did the, uh, did the round the table and told them, uh, what I did on the side, uh, the fire chief said, Jack, you just left me hanging out there, <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll never forget that. So yeah, I can remember his name and, you know, it just opened up a lot of doors because in all the people that I engaged with and all the jobs I had with Duke inside, outside the company and some inside, uh, there was a connection with racing, uh, and doors that got opened both ways. Oh, those doors are great to open. Let's take a break. And that's a cool story. Yeah. Longtime pit reporter for the Motor Racing Network, Winston Kelly on the line. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Speed Sport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. Executive Director of the NASCAR Hall of Fame, Motor Racing Network legend Winston Kelly is on the line. So I have a question, I, and I got to I gotta go here. So is Winston your real name? Because so many people in, in uh, entertainment, they change their name, right? Especially in the radio business. You covered Winston Cup Racing, and your name is Winston. That's just – that's too odd to be real, right. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. It, it is my real name. And if I had a dollar for every time somebody said, was I named after the sport, right. I which, wouldn't have enough to retire. Which came first? But, yeah. <laughs> but when, when you think about R.J. Reynolds came in in 1971 and 72, I am clearly older than that. So I always tried to take it as a little bit of a compliment. But the story my mom tells, and, and I have no reason to doubt her, she wanted to name me Winston. Dad wasn't that excited about the name for whatever reason. And she said, well, I was there before he was because dads weren't in the delivery room back then. That's right. And she said, she said he got to name my older brother, who was a junior. So I was going to name this child. And it was uh, after a great uncle of mine uh, whose name was George Winston Dowdy. And she just liked the name. Yeah. Uh, and that's where it came from. It's a classy name. But, I mean, you, uh, you got to admit, I thought Winston when he, Kelly in the pits. Come oh, on. Oh, yeah, no, it's beautiful. Perfect. And when he said named after him, I'm thinking he's going to say Winston Churchill. I will it. tell you this, though. <laughs> I often thought that if I ever became a pit reporter, and I was a huge race fan in the 90s, right? But if I ever became a pit reporter, I would change my name to Vic Lane. What do you think? <laughs> Man, we just got off Good the side. Afternoon. Let's toss it out of Vic Lane in the pit. I just Thank leave you. it. I just leave it out there. <laughs> just leave it out there. Just but okay. it was it was beneficial because if, if you think about it, if if my name was not 
identifiable. It would have taken me a lot longer to get to know people. Right. So it, it was very helpful in that regard. Winston, in, re, in regards to your career at MRN, you know, everyone, uh, at least in the race world, people listen, know you as a pit road reporter. I mean, you were the guy that, and we're going to get you to do it if you don't mind in a minute. You know, the four tires, gas, and Sunoco 22 gallons of Union 76 back in the day. And Sunoco well, Goodyear tires, Mike. Goodyear's. Goodyear, yeah. <laughs> hey, can you do that for us on a spur of the moment? Can you give me just a quick, quick play? Here comes Mike Wallace down pit road. The crew's going to go to work on the right side of the car. It's pumped up. The first can of Sunoco fuel goes in. Crew wheels around to the left side of the car, pumps it up. Second set of tires going on, the second can of Sunoco fuel going in. It's a smooth stop. Mike Wallace away, and he's going to retain the lead. Yeah. Oh, yes. I'm excited. <laughs> that was great. That was, Came in good stop. You're in the lead. Yeah. Doesn't get any fighter. You, you haven't lost anything there, Winston, just to <laughs> sure. let you know. So so where I was leading with that, you, you were always on pit road. You were always the familiar face. You were the, in victory lane uh, when we come in. And... Uh, did you ever have the desire to go up in the booth and call the race, or was Pit Road your place? Did you just like it down there? I, I like Pit Road. I did a few races in the turns uh, on and off over time. And then when they rotated people in on the – when it became the Xfinity Series, they rotated some of us into the booth uh, to do some booth reporting. And I did that. And I enjoyed it. But there is a cadence to being a turn reporter that I don't have. There's a cadence to being a being a play-by-play guy that I realize I don't have like the other guys do. And there's some of the guys that work in the turns for MRN. Some can do anything. Like Mike Bagley can work any position. Mike Joy was that way. But there's some that aren't as comfortable with that just constant interaction on pit road and that's fine that's what i liked i like the interaction with the crew guys i like keeping up with the strategy talking to the crew chiefs about what we might see in terms of strategy but you know i didn't have that cadence that a, a barney hall or a joe moore jeff striegel alex hayden mike bagley those guys do that are in the booth so I never felt like I didn't get a chance to do that because I did it a little bit. But, you know, you kind of got to know know your limitations and where your strengths are. Keep in and mind. Pit Road is what I like. Keep in mind, too, that there's a difference between radio and TV. TV's got pictures. Radio doesn't have pictures. So it's up to the, the announcer in the turns or the play-by-play guy or whatever to paint that picture for you. It's different. Yeah, well, yeah, and, yeah. so Winston paints the picture. Absolutely. Forever has, you yeah. know, and it's like – He's so good at it. I'm like, he just excited me with that fake pit call. <laughs> I was leaving out on the clutch when they were dropping the jack. We'll have Rich pull that segment later. You can take it home with you. Yeah. Listen to it over. We'll put put it on your answering machine. <laughs> there you go. So uh, as the MRN career goes along and you're, you know, you are becoming, you're great at it. And I think it's, don't you become the lead is it just lead pit road or lead announcer for MRN? Lead pit reporter. Lead pit reporter. Okay. Yeah. 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 And did as you were getting towards through your career, what was what was some of the highlights that you can think of? Just 
to one or two of through your career as being on pit road some something that just so exciting that you'll always remember one of them uh you'll appreciate this because brother rusty was involved with it uh bristol i want to say 1993 uh the second bristol race dale ran into rusty about lap 50 spun him around rusty never got back up to the front so back when uh back then they brought the second third fourth fifth place car to the gas pump so i'm standing beside the car talking to dale he's beside the uh the driver's side door rusty had had 450 laps to be mad and he was still mad (laughs) so i'm interviewing dale and all of a sudden we felt something like some water and something bounced off of us well rusty's standing on the other side of the car and because dale wasn't paying him any attention he didn't see him Rusty had thrown a water bottle across the top of the car, bounced off the car, kind of splashed us a little bit. And he was over there giving Dale grief about him spinning him. And he said, I hadn't forgot about Talladega either. Oh, so I was, <laughs> well, I remember what he said. Didn't he, didn't he say, Darlington's next week. I'll see you there. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm in the middle of that interview. It's like, I didn't know what to say. I mean, but we, that, that one is one that I'll probably never forget, you know, and then, you know, how they were, you know, they were frenemies as, as Daryl Waltrip calls them. They were great friends, but when it got tense on the track, uh, but just being in the middle of that interview was probably one of the more unique ones. And, you know, in victory lane, the ones I always enjoyed first time winners or somebody who hadn't won in a long time, or something that had a sentimental value to it. Like when Terry Labonte won what was then the last Southern 500 on Labor Day weekend back in 2003 when they were going to move the race. You know, Terry wasn't a big emotional guy, but it was appropriate for somebody from Terry's generation to win that last race, and he had won his first race there and to win that race. So those type of victory lanes we're always a lot of special, lot very special. Well, that sounds great. So, as you uh, were wrapping up your career uh, in the MRN world, and we we'd like to get to all of it through this break and next. What, uh, why, and when did you decide you? First of all, how were you always working for Duke Energy through your whole MRN career, or was there a time you were just doing radio only? No, I was with Duke Energy. Uh, That actually paid the bills until 2006 uh, when I left and went to work for the NASCAR Hall of Fame. And it made sense. I had thought about stepping away, you know, as my career advanced with Duke Energy. And then when I went to work at the Hall of Fame, I was going to go to a lot of races anyway. And it was a good connection with all the folks in the industry to just keep doing it. Matter of fact, when they offered me the job, both at the CRVA uh, and then the folks from NASCAR, while I don't work for NASCAR, I work with them, both the CRVA and NASCAR said, if you, if you want to keep doing the MRN stuff, totally up to you. We think it would be beneficial, but it's still your call. So that's in 2006. And so it just got to the point uh, that travel was getting a lot harder. Uh, 
you know, we couldn't get home a lot of times on Sunday nights as the race times changed. And, you know, the older I got, the, you know, the, the harder it was to go in early on Monday morning. Uh, and then with uh, having a couple of grandkids through my wife, you know, that and just wanting to be at the hall a little bit more on the weekends when I needed to be there. So, you know, it just became time that it was uh, time for somebody else to do it regular and, and me to just be available to fill in if they needed it. I got you. When, when you made that decision, did MRN have you, uh, I guess I'll use the word educate, train, help a new pit road reporter, or did they already have somebody just kind of walk in and fill your spot? Well, they were, they were always bringing new people in. I mean, I was one of those folks in 87, 88, 89 time frame. And we had had people come through, you know, Alex Hayden, who came in, worked on pit road, and then he ended up going to the booth. Steve Post had been with us for a long time. So Steve moved up to the lead pit reporter job. Uh, he had been on pit road for a good eight or 10 years. And then some other guys just picked up some more races, guys like Jason Toy picking up more races. Kim Coon had joined us, and she started picking up some more races. Uh, and then they're developing more people now just like they always have. So they've always been real good about bringing people in, working them, whether it's 6, 8, 10, 12 races a year. And back when we had more events in different venues, you know, when you had a race at Road America and another one at Pocono, you know, you needed more bodies back then. So they've always been good about uh, bringing people along and having a pipeline of announcers. Winston, in our next segment, I want to get to your current job, but I want to just ask you just a, a quick thought of the sport since you were around. In regards to all the changing, and because you've seen it all, you're hearing about it all, all everything is happening in the NASCAR world, going to these new racetracks and that. Do you like that? Do you do you think it's a good idea, or is it? What's I your do, and I, it? I do, and I'll tell you why. One of the, in in the video that we have of Bill France Jr. being inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame that that's in the the video that will be at the hall for as long as it's open. One of the comments, one of the quotes that Bill Jr. had made was, "You're either moving forward or you're moving backwards." Because if you're standing still, people are passing you and you're moving backwards. So if you don't move forward, if you don't do new things, you're going to get passed by your competition. And the competition being any other form of entertainment, not just other forms of racing. And while the older you get, the less you like change because you like mm -hmm. the so-called good old days. But I, and, and Bill had that quote when he was in his 70s. So it wasn't something he said when he was 35. He was in his, he was a lot about 70 or 71 when we got the video of him saying that. And I think there is a lot to be said for that. And I think if you take it back to Bill France senior in even forming NASCAR 75 years ago, he sees that you've got to move forward and how stock car racing was done. It had no organization. And I think we're seeing a continuation of that. Are you going to get everything right moving forward uh, when you try to do things different? No, but if you don't try something, you're going to be standing still. And I think when the schedule was as, uh, as routine as it had become, that became a liability. 
and moving into new markets and trying new races, I think, uh, has been a good thing. So since you were involved in the new markets, different markets along the way, what was the and we'll finish this segment by what was the funnest place you went to other, that you didn't have to work? Did you guys get to go out on the town any? You know, with all these changes, where, where was a cool place to go? God, that's a great question. Let me think about that during the break. Okay. There were so many cool places that we went to that uh, I'd have to think about that. Well, think about that. Jeff's going to take us to, to break, and uh, we'll come back and find out what we're going to We'll find like. out what Winston Kelly did for fun. Executive director of the NASCAR, NASCAR Hall of Fame, and we'll talk about that, too. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the SpeedSport Podcast Network, powered by My Race Pass and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the SpeedSport Podcast Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. A few more laps here with the one and only Winston Kelly. Once again, here's Mike Wallace. Well, Winston, I'm going to be honest. And, Jeff, I, this break took way longer than I wanted because I'm trying to think, <laughs> what is Winston going to come back? This is a guy that's traveled the country watching NASCAR racing, hung out with all the famous drivers, famous car owners and we asked him before we went to break where's the funnest place or what's the coolest thing you've done did you find us an answer during the break winston <laughs> i did and it's not going to be off in california anywhere one of the most enjoyable weekends that we'd have was at martinsville at the dutch end and especially if it was when the modified and the bush guys bush series guys were there and just the party at the at the Dutch Inn uh, bar there. Uh, <laughs> another one was Ramada Inn in Darlington or Florence. Wow, he, he's bringing uh, up the good places. Yeah. Those were you know, fun, the, yeah. It, it, you know, it wasn't, a, you know, I, I do think when we went to Mar Montreal one year was a lot of fun uh, and did a, uh, did a Bush Series race up there. But, you know, the, the places that we went to time in and time out, there was always a fun night that we go out and eat uh, in Daytona, but we didn't do a whole lot of partying, but the, the Dutch Inn, it was hard not to uh, spend a, an hour or two in the bar with uh, all the crew members and drivers that were there. Say it got a little crazy. Uh, <laughs> Jeff, let me tell you something. <laughs> the greatest part about in what I call the nineties, two thousands of racing was being able to hang out at the bars like the, the Dutch Inn and, yeah. You know, do those things and running into everybody you work with, running in with the guys from MRN. You'd have, a, but the nicest thing there was a lot of fans always, an interactive fans. Yeah. And you know the greatest part about that, there was no picture cell phones. Right. <laughs> so, so, so nothing incriminating. There was no evidence. Now that you watch everybody look around, hey, can I have That's... a picture? And it's like, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact we stayed at the Dutch Inn made it work for us we didn't have to worry about getting back in a car yeah just stagger over to the room it was beautiful it's a little hotel up there in martinsville virginia i i don't even know if it's still around if it is it's wow what a great time what one stories. of the only ones in martinsville maybe but yeah. that's where all the team team members stayed and yeah there, but there's stayed. actually a, quite a few more in martinsville than you would think it's not a big town but that right. was the place and that's uh i remember driving for junie don levy and we stayed at the dutch and man it was like Oh my God! Look at and all the people. It was all famous people, you know, famous in the race world. People right. hanging out there, so much fun. So, Winston, we're going to move on from uh, the race world, uh, the, the the pit road reporting, all that, 
And Jeff read earlier that this uh, resume that you built while you were working at Duke Energy, I mean, you were, what, you had four or five, or you mentioned, excuse me, you had four or five major job titles. So how and what led you to the to the hall and all the executive directorships and directorships and all that that's on your resume today? Well, when when NASCAR put out the RFP to the different cities, I participated on a, in a very small fashion uh, in the Charlotte area, and, and my role was to help the team that was putting the bid together keep things within the NASCAR parameters and, and understand how the NASCAR industry and what I did know about NASCAR, the organization, how to put our best foot forward. And that could be as simple as when they did some potential renderings of what the hall might look for, look like if they had a Pepsi logo on the side of uh, the building or inside the building, say that needs to be Coke. And they'd look at you kind of cockeyed and say, Coke is a NASCAR sponsor. Okay. Let's get it authentic. I mean, it could be that simple. Uh, so I had a very small role in that. And somewhere along the line, some of the people involved in the process asked if I would be interested in working there. And I said, honestly, I'd never even thought about it. I had a great job at Duke. Uh, and once they, once NASCAR picked Charlotte and they started the process, about two months after they made the announcement that it was going to be in Charlotte, the job was posted, and uh, somebody who worked over at the CRVA sent me an email, and all it said was, that job that we had mentioned to you is posted if you're interested. So I took a look at it, and I had a great job. I was vice president of economic development at that time at Duke. Had a great job, great company, loved it. Said, I don't have anything to lose. I had never done a, re uh, a resume in my life. I didn't do one when I got out of college, and I moved around a lot with Duke, so I didn't have to do a resume. So I got in touch with a former Duke colleague who wasn't there who could help me with the resume, put it in, said, you know, I don't have anything to lose, you know, went through the interview process uh, and was offered the job. And even though I took a pay cut, and I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me because I make a good living, but uh, – I thought I can't turn this down because how many little boys grow up and work with their childhood heroes and then get to help honor their childhood heroes. So uh, that's just how it came about. And you mentioned the business experience. I know just for, from historical purposes that they interviewed people who had run buildings like this, who had built buildings like this and the other uh, the X factor that I was told that I had is I knew the industry. I knew the people. We all had business acumen. We all had business background. And they felt like learning the NASCAR industry would be a steeper hill for those guys than me hiring good operational people over the folks who had run buildings like this. And I was fortunate enough to get the job and also smart enough to hire good exhibits and operational and other folks to make us all look good. Well, the Hall of Fame is a beautiful place, and you've done a marvelous job with it. What's a, what's a day working in your position at the Hall of Fame entail? Is, it, is there an average day, or is everything always a different day? For the most part, everything's a different day. You know, it, like with any corporate structure you know 
we're a part of what's called the Charlotte Regional Visitors Authority. We manage buildings that the city owns that are entertainment or assembly buildings, the convention center, Ovens Auditorium, Bojangles Coliseum, the Hall of Fame. We do the back of house for Spectrum Arena. And then we also recruit the conventions in and market the destination of Charlotte. So while it's not a huge company, we've got about 275 full-time people and, and hundreds of part-time people. So just like with Duke, there are some parts of the, of the job that are the corporate-type jobs that you go to different kind of meetings and stuff like that. So, you know, there, there's a fair amount of that. We're a highly collaborative organization. Like everybody who works on the hall, when somebody says, how many people work for the Hall of Fame. Well, the full-time people on my staff is about 35, but there are another couple of dozen people in marketing, communication, accounting, information technology, HR, sales, that are in other parts of the company. So just the, the process of being collaborative, which makes us better. So there's a fair number of meetings there, but then you know, there, there are a lot of, it just depends on what comes up in a day, uh, what's going on. This is going to probably sound odd the way I'm going to ask it, because I would kind of only expect it to be answered in one way, but I got to ask the question. Is the hall doing what you want it to do? Yes. In a word, yes. If I go back to the goals that were shared with me when I interviewed for the job and took the job, the goals were to enhance the hospitality industry, to enhance the hospitality industry's connection with the NASCAR industry, to grow economic impact into this region using what is the NASCAR Hall of Fame. And we can check all those boxes. 80, no, excuse me, 90% of the people that come to the hall come from more than 50 miles. 60% come from more than 200 miles. The average travel distance is 564 miles. Average travel distance is 564 wow. miles. Uh, miles. And people stay an average of two and two thirds to three nights with an average of three people per group. And that group spends an average of $798. You do the math, that's an average economic impact of between 55 and $60 million on an annual basis. And that's what we were there to do and to strengthen this region's connection with motorsports, which is a $6 billion a year industry in North Carolina. So those were the objectives and to leverage the, the national and international uh, mark that is NASCAR in this region and to be a one-of-a-kind attraction you know there's only one nascar hall of fame they're all kind of art museums and things like that but there's only one nascar hall of fame and that's what we were built for is to attract people into the charlotte region and we've done that what, it's what, always an ongoing thing but we have done that was there some talk about moving the hall of fame to concord or cabarrus county or am i crazy no 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 okay no, where, where, where people get things mixed up, people read headlines. People don't read even the first paragraph a lot of times. Where that came up 
is when NASCAR announced that they were going to build a NASCAR Productions studio in Concord earlier this year, people said, so they're moving the Hall of Fame because the NASCAR Productions facility is in the office tower that's adjacent to the Hall of Fame and the extension of the convention center. There was never any talk, and there was never any talk about building it in Concord. And as a native Concordian who loves this city, there is no way it would have made sense because the funding, the capital funding for the Hall of Fame came from a hospitality tax, a hotel tax from Mecklenburg County Hotels. That could not have been pulled off in Cabarrus County. And those hotels, when I quoted you all those numbers about people staying overnight, the hoteliers agreed to that tax because they believed that we would put heads in their beds. But it was in Mecklenburg County hotels. The only two weeks of the year that it makes more sense for the Hall of Fame to be in Concord are the two race weeks. The rest of the time, there are conventions that happen in the convention center that do their major Uh, reception or dinner in the Hall of Fame. And similarly, people that come into town just to visit the Hall of Fame, then they'll come into Charlotte and there's a lot more to do there. So never was any talk about it being built in Concord uh, or being moved. Good to know. And I mean, it's nice to come downtown and go to 600 festival type, you know, events and I mean, your relationship with Center City Partners and all that. I mean, there's so many cool events that take place in the month of May, really. And the, and the Hall of Fame should be front and center. And it is. Yeah. Well, Winston, I, I just want to take a moment from myself and Jeff, I believe, and Rich, who's sitting on the other side of the glass here. Thank you for the time you spent with us today. You're, you're iconic in the sport of the radio broadcasting side and, and you're helping carry on the NASCAR uh, legacy in the hall of fame but making the business side of it work for the tourism department so uh you're you're still got multi-title jobs going on (laughs) well it's it's been a a privilege to be on with you guys and uh hope to see you again soon mike it's been far too long well we'll have to catch up come to find out we're local concordians together so your neighbors we'll run into each other at the gas station or something (laughs) (laughs) there he goes winston kelly you've been listening to fast car to nascar with mike wallace on the speed sport podcast network powered by my race pass and nascar digital media we'll see you next week